everyone. This is part two, episode seven of the Rigged Podcast, part two of our interview with Sharon, chemist, Amherst chemist Sharon Salem. Uh, Randy, what would you say about part two of this interview? Uh, an absolute train wreck <laughs> of an interview on Salem's part. But... It's all good because she works for the state. So if she lies and changes her story three times, <laughs> it doesn't actually matter because she's only talking to the attorney general's That's right. like office. That's right. MBD. <laughs> like if I was lying to the attorney general's office and changing my story 12 times about a serious criminal matter, I'm sure nothing would happen. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Dude. I don't know what you're talking about. Again, no big deal triple change and uh spoiler alert someone gets fired fyi <laughs> all that and more at the end of this uh incredibly uh hot topic um fun episode of the rig podcast enjoy this is the rig podcast back again for our second part of interview two and three with uh, Sharon Salem. Again, Sharon was a chemist at Amherst. And um, from the last part, we we did a deep dive into uh, the first part of her conversation. At the end of that, she talked about Sonia Farrick. And then uh, they took a break from interviewing her. And this is uh, them back from the break talking about, again, the manufacturer of drug standards at the lab. All right, here we go. So... I'm just gonna. I'm gonna have a few more questions, um, and I just want to confirm this, just so I'm clear. Now, when we had a last conversation, this is going back to the manufacturing of the secondary standards. Okay, as far as your, in terms of your practice from 1987 to 2007, you did not take directly from police cement samples? Is that what you're telling us? To manufacture those secondaries? Correct. I would use my vials, my discarded vials. Okay. Of the... Of the police confiscated samples. Okay. So it wasn't an actual physical removing. So if there was a, say, um, a pile of powdered cocaine on the, on the scale that you had weighed, you wouldn't directly pinch or or after you were finished, you wouldn't directly take from that? No, because at that point, I would not know what the sample was. What about after the fact? If you it would already be sealed up. The way I sample things, it would already be sealed up. And that was your practice. So there would be no other way to go in. So I've said, wow, you know, we're thinking back. That sample I just did a few moments ago, or got the results on, it's pretty pure. You had already sailed it. I would not. You would, you would, so you yourself would not. But you can't testify as to well, tell us as other people. No, I could not. Okay. Did you ever see Jim or, or another chemist say, I have a good sample here, and Jim come and take those? After the fact? After the fact? No, I did not. No. I did not. You did not. Did, um, <laughs> did you, and I think you had just trusted, you mentioned earlier, do you know that, that or do you know if Jim Hanchett had a certain amount of drugs? Located in his desk or in his office to manufacture samples, standards if need be? I do not think he had anything in his office or his desk area. He might have had standard on his bench, 
open to everybody. I don't think he had anything put into his desk or into his office hiding it away, no. Okay, so you say a standard, you mean Miss Sanders that he manufactured may have been on his lab bench or in his workbench? Like his work desk? His lab bench? His lab bench. That is a possibility. Okay. And would it be in a drawer? Possibly. Possibly. And did you ever see anybody try to access this drawer to get standards? No. When you say possibly, what do you mean by that? Did you, was it something you saw or you were told about or he had mentioned to you? It's, I, okay, I'll back up. Okay. I would see a, um, over the years, I can recall a beaker of first standard on his bench. I think in later years, he might have just put it on under in his drawer just to get it out of the way. Um, it was not locked. It was just right there in his bench. Um, I don't know exactly. I never accessed that beaker. I don't know exactly what would have been in it, I believe. You know, that is what he used to make standard with. I don't know exactly how he obtained it or where it came from. And you never had conversations with him about that? No. And he never talked to it? No. About that? No. Um, and... May I ask? Please. So, is that so another like, flip-flop? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I thought she earlier had said no one would keep beakers of cocaine in their desks. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. Well, she yes, didn't know what was in it. So no one kept cocaine, but people did keep beakers. We just don't know what was in it. Oh, my God. But, like, she's saying bench versus desk versus, like, she's just, this is all over the map. Clearly, they keep, because this is the continuation of that interview. They stopped and they came back and they're like, okay, let me ask you this for the millionth time so I can get yet another random answer that makes no sense. And she said that she didn't know what Jim did, but she was, she's pretty good at knowing what wasn't in his office. Yes. Yeah, he didn't have anything in his desk. He, he didn't have Coke in his I know, drawers, I went bro. It. It wasn't there. And nothing in his desk. Clearly well, there the was way, cocaine in his desk. It, that I know about, it was, I know it was unlocked in a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next one. This one's again pretty long, but this is a this is a, they take her again through the, her process of creating standards from the garbage. Go ahead. Yeah, and if you you know obviously you need to pause, just let me know. Yeah, it's four minutes. Standard, um, and again, it would it's um, it's sample that would otherwise be thrown away. Correct. Uh, and when you created that sample, uh, it would go in a would it is it uh, would it go in a vial? It would actually be in a beaker, similar to what Jim would have. In, uh, in a beaker, so I, uh, my, my chemistry days is a, a sort of a glass jar sort of thing. Is Am I correct in that? Um, it's um, kind of the shape of a coffee cup like that. Coffee cup, you know, like, sort yeah. of a medium to Without large a, coffee There's coffee. no lid, yeah. No lid. Is it from and, Duncan's? Um, <laughs> would you keep that in your workstation or would that standard then be transferred to this safe sort of thing that you uh, that you spoke of earlier? It would be kept at your workstation. It would be kept at your workstation for, for convenience, correct? For convenience and it wasn't something that we thought we had to keep away from other people. <laughs> sure. And just so I understand, 
um, you, you said that it was some sort of process uh, where um, I think you said um, evaporate off or something like that, I think. So this standard, would it be, uh, would it be in a powder form? Or would, so, for example, cocaine is in a powder form, okay, for example. Um, once you make a standard, would it be something that is, remains in a powder form? Would it, would it crystallize? What would happen? It would actually, once you evaporate down the solvent, you would actually be left with a residue around the glass of the beaker. You could actually see like a white residue. If you evaporated enough of it into that beaker, you could scrape it off and create another powder. Got it. Now, in your practice, in your practice, would, in creating the standard, would you create enough to, for one to uh, use and get a high off of? Is it enough? I have no idea. Okay, you don't, <laughs> you you don't know it? that. Okay. Were you sniffing um, it, Jimmy? How about <laughs> Did this? Did you sniff the glue? Striking to get a high off of. Would you create enough that it would um, fill a small uh, fingertip? You could. Okay. You could. Just by scraping the residue. You had a whole five-gallon bucket. You could have evaporated all of it. Oh, I see. <laughs> all right. How often would that bucket get? Once up? every couple months. And how would that happen? I would notify um, UMass Hazardous <laughs> Committee that we needed a pickup. And they would come take it. And they would be, um, they would be, that bucket would fi be filled with beakers? With vials. With vials. Glass vials. Glass vials. Would this um, bucket be open? Yes. And then, um, is could could it be could it be uh, taken by somebody nefariously? Absolutely. Could you stick your head in there? Would you get high when you stuck your head in? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about that exchange. It's just so, so fundamentally crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I love Detective Fantasy is my favorite. He's my favorite. And again, I just want to reiterate, like, we were not given these interviews before the carry hearings. So right? the bucket so, of Coke was you know, somehow Ryan left out? And Re Rebecca Jacobstein were sitting there trying to argue that the processes in the lab were not scientifically reliable and they did not know that uh, one of the chemists had been digging vials out of the trash in order to make standard. And there was an open bucket of cocaine and God knows what else. I mean, talk about cross-contamination, dude. Like if you're getting, if that's what you're, if you're digging out of there to get your stuff, like you don't know what's in there. That's all cross-contaminated. Like that's ridiculous. Open beaker? Was it a beaker? Now, this process, which you would be manufacturing the secondary samples or making them to, to do your runs on, would, um, did people at DPH know about this? Do they know that you, or do they have any reason to believe you weren't using the pure standards as you should be? And was it something that they endorsed if they did? I would assume they were doing the same thing. Over at JP? Yes. So they were doing the same thing. I assume that. I don't know. Okay. But you, can you tell me if anyone, if you know, 
at DPH knew about this? Higher-ups? I don't know. So, like, NASA, the head of the Yeah, I do not know if she knew. And obviously, you had you said you had very little interaction with her. Correct. At all. And this would this be a process that you testified to in in court? I have never. I believe Jim has testified to it in court about this. Have Have you testified in court before? Not regarding this, but in your in your in the course of your just a few times. Talk. And um, there was never a time that um, they would go through the process of how you compared um, the seized drugs with your standard. It was never an issue. Never an issue. And uh, one more question, so I understand. How big was the bucket? It was a five, I believe it was a five-gallon bucket. Five-gallon bucket. How big are the vials? Two-milliliter vials. And that's... So they're about half an inch tall. Half an inch tall. So when that would get full, that's when the bucket would get sort of correct um, discarded. Full of glass vials. Full of glass vials. You don't know what's... They could be empty glass vials for all <laughs> I knew, you know. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. You never know. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I just want to show you some paperwork. <laughs> I love it. Dude, there was some dude walking around the UMass campus with a shitload of cocaine in a bucket. Just walking around. <laughs> Probably would have excited a lot of the students. Yes, the student bucket. <laughs> it's the bucket well, guy. It's funny because they didn't have their own building. They were like a floor in one building on the college campus. So they, I think no they had way. an auditorium like directly above them. <laughs> in, in the basement of the auditorium. Whoa. Bucket of Coke. And, and Sonya doing Sonya things. All right. So uh, next next one. This one is another one. So I'm going to show you this document. Now, this is the drug receipt uh, titled Department of State Police Crime Laboratory Systems. The following samples received on 8-2-2012 from evidence officer Lori Spear of the Northampton Police Department. And these are fair to say, if we were to match up in the other documents, these would be all the samples that you received from her that day. I assume so, yes. That it yeah, the 12. They are. I, I checked okay. myself. Yeah. So all the different ones, listing all the different defendants and everything. So just if you can take a look at that document. Just don't read it. And with this this document itself would indicate, you know, they were, if they were in plastic bags, and the weight as they came, the weight as they came in. The gross weight, correct. Okay, so that was the weight that was weighed in front of you? Yes. That's the, so that's that what, is the weight that I weighed, yes. So the officer would be there, put it in front of you, would weigh it, and get these various weights. I would actually do the weight, yes. Okay. Now, one question, and this is, so we can explain. So on this certificate here, that Captain Fennessy introduced earlier, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts Executive Office of Public Safety drug certification, which is notarized by you, the first document shown. It indicates that the net weight of the, the drugs was 5.19 grams upon testing by James Hanchett, the name of the defendant. The sample number is A12-03299. And on this, on this intake sheet, it indicates a 12 white chunks, one plastic bag, 
12.60 grams. Correct. As coming in. So if you could explain for me why there would be a discrepancy. It's not a discrepancy. One's gross weight and one's net weight. Okay. And that's what it is? Yes. And there's no, that's the no, only no, difference. That's, that's, fine. that's yes. the only difference in that? Okay. And the last one I'm showing to you is this form. It's in, uh, Massachusetts Department of State Police Crime Laboratory Systems Drug Sample Review Form. So here, are laboratory case number, the case number I just showed you, A12-03299, Technical Reviewer Sharon Salem, Date of Technical Review 9-11-2012, Analyzing Chemist James Hanshin. Okay, what is this document? This is a form that we generated in response to the state police requesting us to do technical reviews on the samples. Um, it is a check off, a sign off that I had actually looked at Jim's notes and compared those notes to the data that I entered into the lab, into the computer system to generate the certificate of analysis and that everything lines up correctly. Okay. And I have a copy of those notes that you reviewed, I assume. Does this look, does this writing look familiar? It has to be Jim Hanschitz. That is Jim Hanschitz writing. Okay. And the date at the top is 9-5-2012. Okay. And he lists, I on the far left hand, uh, I believe, which is the sample number is A3299. Correct. Which corresponds with Correct. The, the other numbers. Now, can you please, in this first column here, you have these numbers, 12.6, 6.52, 1.33, and 5.19. What do those numbers represent, if you know? 12.46 would be the gross weight that it weighed when he received it at his bench. He was reweighing it. Mm -hmm. 6.52 grams would be the gross weight of just the small immediate packaging of the sample without the state without the um, evidence bag or any extraneous material 1.33 would be the weight of just that plastic bag and then they take the difference to get the net weight of the sample okay and those are numbers that you checked yes and in your in your experience as the officer, would the large discrepancies in weight from the net weight to the gross weight, with those numbers that are consistent with you in your experience? 12.46 versus 6.52? Correct. Yes. In getting a net weight of the sample just being 5.19. So that would be typical in terms of the weights that you would see coming in and out, gross to net, yes. net, net to gross. Yes. Okay, so that number doesn't strike you as unusual in any way? No. <laughs> well, I wonder what was reported in court. So I, I, I do know that, well, to be absolutely fair, you know, the net weight and gross weight is typically, you know, quite different. However, um, Sergeant Blue from the state police in an email exchange with Assistant Attorney General Ann Kazmarek noted that um, a four gram weight discrepancy seemed like a lot for packaging. Um, so, you know, I, I never was able to personally get to the bottom of this particular case that Caldwell was talking about, but um, it does seem um, like a lot. It's double, right? 
Because it was 12 to, to 6. Yes. Yeah, and there's a, a just to uh, pause for a second, I mean, there's another small elephant in the room at Amherst, uh, I believe, which is that they had a one chemist system. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Right. The, the, the bread and butter, supposedly, of, of Hinton was they had a two chemist system. And that's the one that's scientifically recommended. Uh, people shouldn't be expected to peer review themselves. Uh, but essentially, that's what Amherst was unabashedly doing. And what's mm-hmm. interesting, very little discussion about that. There's a whole other story about what was actually happening at Hinton. I think at, some, at times Hinton uh, thought about or actually had a chemist system. And they had, had a three-chemist system at some point. And it's confusing. Um, but it seems like nobody really bats an eye that it was one chemist. And therefore, when you're reviewing someone else's work, uh, which didn't happen until the state police came in, apparently. I, I haven't heard anything otherwise. That's the first time that a chemist at Amherst has anyone looking over their shoulder. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and where that, you have to verify. Discrepancies. Right. And that is standard. I mean, it's standard to have someone check off your stuff just to just to do a double check to make sure you didn't miss anything. That's fairly standard process in all labs. And the other thing I would note, it was interesting that it was a, a hand sample because we know that um, Farrah, from her grand jury testimony, she described how she would frequently um, steal evidence bags that he had reinitialed um, and then uh, use that to, you know, uh, to further her plot to gain more access to cocaine so i don't know if this particular sample they actually found is maybe one of those or not like i I don't know why they focused on that that very unique evidence sample number but um the fact that it was a handshake sample does uh bring that to my mind right because he would just pre-label everything and uh and so she could swipe his bags right or or right do whatever she wanted because he was just pre-labeling stuff and not doing it at the time that he was actually um, heat sealing or, you know, taking a possession of the evidence and moving it forward. So that was the end of the second interview. And now this last one is, I guess the word is epic. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Let's, let's dive right in because this is just too good. All right, here we go. Clip three going now. All right, so we're back on the record. Uh, we're again uh, with uh, Sharon Salem, continuing on. The time is approximately uh, 12.34 p.m. Okay. Uh, Shannon, thank you for the explanation of those documents. And so there's just one last thing I just, I just want to cover with you. And this is just so so you're clear. Um in terms of my understanding and you know what you told me back when we were in springfield we had the conversation about the manufacturing of the standards and the samples and you know you, you take from the samples i may have misspoke i mean i i don't know exactly how each chemist does things i do not want to speak for somebody else i do not know for sure I I really probably misspoke. Okay, I, I apologize if I, I but you created are, this whole mess. No, 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 no. <laughs> you just understand that I have to. I just want to be I, crystal I, clear. I, 
and you understand, I think, probably why I was concerned. Absolutely. And it, how it the, sounds pretty freaky. And I said it when I was saying it, this sounds awful. This is not what really happens. So, um, so why were you, know, you saying it? I understand your reaction. Okay. I don't think it's really an issue. I, you know, it's, it was common practice. Um, I don't think he was taking from samples directly to create. I, you have to talk to Jim. You just have to ask how, okay. what his method was. I really do not know. For okay, sure. and just just to clarify, and I, I know this is we're going over this for the third time, but the samples. When you talk about samples, and you were using samples to create secondary standards to use in yes. the testing process, can you just describe what were those samples? Well, they're using? obviously the samples that we took in from state from not keep saying state police from police departments. Okay. Is that what you're referring well, to? Well, no, what I'm referring to is when you, when you say you, you made a secondary standard, how did you make the secondary standard? Where did that substance come from? The substance came from samples that were submitted to the lab. And that were already run through the machine? For me, they were already run through the machine. They were already run, so they were what you were talking about earlier were just simply discarded. Yes. In the vials that, that you yes. have, it's a hazmat bucket for it. Yes. Okay. Yes, it was trash. Jim, stop asking. This is the 12th time. <laughs> like, oh, dude. And, you know, well, if, like, this never would have seen the light of day. That's the best part about all this. This is five years it, ago. Yeah, I was going to say that... Um, even when I learned about the existence of the transcripts of the two prior interviews, this third part was never transcribed. There's only an audio file. So it's, it's curious to me that the attorney general's office never put this to paper. <laughs> well, I mean, that's it's blatant, dude. I mean, she's clearly like feels horribly that she basically implicated her ex-boss into doing incredibly nefarious practice that had consequences for his career. He was let go. And now she's like created this whole thing and feels guilty and is totally just backtracking everything. What were you going to say, Elias? Well, I, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't really see the distinction. And I think one, it, it's a, it sounds, her way sounds more convenient. Right. Um, but eventually I would think that, might run out or you might have challenges together um, what you need uh, and ultimately uh, you're either way you're getting it from a seized sample right so this is this is sort of um, hair splitting the, and I don't really I don't really get it um, yeah but, I mean I, I get the feeling distinct feeling that none of the people in the room had actually researched what was legal and illegal. And they're all thinking to themselves, oh shit, it might've been illegal if they were pinching from standards and they're all dancing around or from samples in order to make standards. And they're all dancing around that because they don't know if uh, people have been committing crimes. Right. Right. And the, and I mean, clearly there's cover for Sharon in taking discarded ones and uh, because they don't seem to have a problem with that process. Right. And then the other fundamental uh, disconnect, uh, second problem I have is she's, she's earlier said or tried to say that she didn't know what anyone was doing. And again, uh, I sort of have a hard time believing that because you're in a 
very small place. There's only four of you. Um, but even, <laughs> even if that's true, I mean, aren't you trained? Isn't anybody in these labs actually trained? Doesn't training involve sort of some amount of uh, effort to gain an understanding and uh, what the steps are? So either this, there was zero training, which is possible, uh, or everybody's sort of lying and there was training and this was what was trained, which was to, to create secondary standards. Uh, and, and whether she misspoke or not is sort of irrelevant. Right. Uh, how, who, who, like any alternative is bad, right? Like <laughs> it's all crap. They, they seem to be going. They seem to be, you know, coaching her into saying, "Yeah, I, I got my stuff out of the garbage," you know, as if that's like the best alternative. You know, I, I'm, I got myself covered. It's just and, trash, and, bro. It, I, I don't remember from Hanchip, but <laughs> but he, did they ask him? What what did she do? Uh, I can't remember. Well, I'm I'm still listening to the Hanson video. They asked her or, what he did. So I don't know. But I know what he didn't do now. But I don't know what he did back when I was saying he was pinching. But um, that I can't remember. But he did say that one of the things he was doing was illegal. So um, oh, right. he he flat out said it. He yes, he <laughs> said he was. This? Um, he said so, yeah. He said. I think the quote is, which is illegal to do or something like that. Oh my God, Jim. Damn but it, Jim. It's fascinating that they didn't drill down. I mean, I would say that if you're doing an investigation and, and you should be, uh, I, I, I don't know what the scientific word is, equipoise, where you don't know which way your investigation is going to go. So you have to assume that this, that Sharon Salem could be lying and to protect herself and she's the culprit. But you also have to assume that she could be giving you the goods on Hanchet, and you sort of have to uh, 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 try to bird dog both uh, lines of thinking. And it seems like they didn't have any interest in trying to figure out if she's actually telling the truth as to what she did, or if she's lying and she did something else. They sort of just like they just dropped it. Right. Uh, well, dude, like if, if I was a police officer and it was my literally my first day on the job and I got handed these transcripts, I'd be like, all right, well, maybe I should check some records. Maybe I should uh, take a look at some of the physical evidence. And none of that happened. No. And dude, she said that this was standard practice between them, Hinton. She assumed Hinton and the state police. Why was there never like? How did you know about the state police? What like? What's the state police? Yeah. What? Why did? <laughs> like that's there's there was zero follow up. Right. There's a built-in defense that could have been a president in a case like this, which is you'd say, "Wow, this is really complicated. This is the first time this happened. We had no idea." The problem with that is this had happened. You would you knew exactly what to do. It was called Hinton. Yep. Uh, and 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 what's excruciating about this is that, that, that there was litigation over what to do with the tens of thousands of anti-duty cases and, and, and to try to triage them and to actually pursue justice that were at all possible in those cases. And now you find out that possibly all drug cases of at least of heroin and, and, and um, cocaine were possibly tainted and, and, and propped up with potentially false or misleading uh, testimony. Uh, certainly misleading testimony about swear drug anyway, but now that how they arrived at their 
conclusions based on a, a, a non-use of a primary standard. They're coming right on the heels of Scott. To me, this is there's it's mind-boggling that there was mm-hmm. a, a perfunctory investigation and not an immediate uh, uh, you know step to the microphone to say you know with hat in hand say actually it might be 60,000 cases or whatever dude it's it's way more than it's it going back 30 years if you go by the standards for every lab one of the things that was argued in cpcs versus ag was that it really was just a perfunctory investigation like they had testimony from ferrick saying that she altered computer records and you would think okay the, the state of Massachusetts, the attorney general's office can surely find enough funds to get a computer expert to look into that. Right. And no, of course not. Convenient. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's go to the next one. All it right. gets train wreck here. Is that possible? <laughs> okay. So based upon this been a gap in our, at the time that we spoke in Springfield and the time we're talking today, um, did you have the opportunity to talk to anybody about our earlier conversation? I probably talked to Rebecca. Probably talked to Rebecca. You you work with Rebecca, correct? Yes. Same building. Yes. Okay. Maybe. Did you have the opportunity to talk to anybody Could else have. about it? Um, about what we talked about. Um, I believe I talked to Kristen Sullivan. Um, she works state police. And chemist. I. She's good people. Oh, Jim did call me afterwards because he was told to walk out of the bu- the building that day. Oh, that's right. Jim and talked yeah, to me he after called I me and said, "What fired. did you say?" Yeah. <laughs> so, what, what what did he ask you questions? And what did he, and if he did, what did, what did he uh, say to you? Um, he he didn't. He, he I said, you know, I brought up. I'm sorry. It's okay. Husband's calling about dinner. I have to talk about this horrible firing that I got my supervisor canned and almost arrested. Hold on <laughs> no, one second. Um, I wish he answered it. Yeah, he said, you know, what did you say? Well, you know, and I said, that's the only issue I can think of. It's got to be the way we made standards, you know. Yeah. So, so what did Jim say? I've testified to that. You know, he told me that it was common practice. He he was not concerned. Okay. You know, he, he really was not concerned about it. I mean, you'll have to ask him directly what his method of preparing what was, but he was really not concerned about it. And they, state police have known about it. I mean, it's not something that was, has been hidden. Did, did you talk to Jim Hanchett about um, what you've come to realize is a misspeak um, with that, the pinching? That I made a throne him under the bus <laughs> did, <laughs> inadvertently. Did, did you, did you no, say? No, I, I did not tell him that I threw him under the bus, no. But did you, did you tell him, yeah, I, I, oh I, God, I, I said that we were pinching? Because that's what, that's what Tom's recollection yeah, of it was. Yeah, no, I did not tell him that. Okay. I didn't say that. But, and I, I really believe I misspoke Tom about okay. that. And I, I used the wrong terminology. Yeah, yeah. really made it sound a whole lot worse than it is. <laughs> so. I love this. I love it. Your misspeak? Your misspeak? Like they are fucking bending over backwards. Bending over backwards. If this, would they be talking misspeaks if it was like Elias's client? I misspoke when I said I had crack because I really had a, a cashew. Like, was would they accept that? I mean, come on. No, they didn't. We, he, was, he was guilty. Dude. <laughs> I just, I don't understand the rationale, though, that you fire one guy. Right. Or, yep. but you have pretty good testimony from both of them 
that everybody was doing this. Right. I don't quite get what was the he's what the, was the guiding principle to fire one and not others. Dude, he's the fall guy that was close to retirement. That was the, you know, I mean, the, to me, this is not even this is a joke that they're splitting hairs about taking from samples versus taking from trash. Like, I think that's so. What idiotic. I took away from it was uh, after she revealed that to Tom Caldwell. Hanchett was asked to leave the building and uh, he subsequently took his early retirement. So we get that from his interview. Uh, yes. But uh, <laughs> he is, that is a very good fall guy if someone's about, about ready to retire. Yep. And he's a supervisor, so you can just all blame it on him and sweep it nicely under the rug. And if this podcast didn't exist, no one would ever hear any of this this would be buried in the attorney general's office if it wasn't for Chris and for people working their butt off to do this kind of what I think is very important work because, well, right now you hear about the defund the police movement and people are talking, you know, defund the police and they're getting all scared that they're going to take cops off the streets. And how much did this cost? How much did this train wreck cost of an investigation? And and just Duke in itself, when they knew that everything should just be tossed without an event, like the, the amount of dollars spent on this by the state is a crime in and of itself. So the inspector general's investigation cost somewhere north of $6 million. Uh, I seem to recall something like between 24 and $30 million were set aside initially to fund the DA's offices and CPCS unit to look at all these cases. And then it's been estimated something north of 50 or $60 million worth of return fines and fees may be in the works for all the defendants who had their convictions vacated. So it's getting close to $100 million. Wow. <laughs> And what could, I mean, and then that only, like, if this, if the, the reality of this ever got out, the lawsuits, I think that's what this is really about. They are desperately trying, because Ilias, um, you know, brought a, a suit against an individual, but was not allowed to sue the state, correct, Ilias? Like, there's, there's no, no one has sued the state directly because of this, right? Well, well, there, there is. I mean, um, I was uh, fortunate enough to represent one of a surprisingly small number of people identified by the OIG that was factually innocent. Uh, and there is a, a statute, uh, it's not a very uh, old statute, um, that uh, it's called the Erroneous Conviction Statute. And that does let you uh, sue the Commonwealth, not under a fault standard, being you're the responsible party, although you could argue the Commonwealth was, but simply that I was erroneously convicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I shouldn't have been. Uh, and uh, I, I also brought civil uh, 1983 civil rights claims. Um, those you, ha- you can't sue the Commonwealth um, for violating your civil rights under the federal law uh, because of sovereign immunity. So you have to sue the named uh, some of the names that we've been uh, kicking around. Right. Of course, that's very difficult because uh, some of them have uh, uh, some built-in protections. Uh, we've heard of qualified immunity. Uh, there's some real, real uh, difficulties with actually proceeding to get a fair trial on whether uh, people in, 
recklessly or intentionally violated someone's civil rights. Um, but my case, I was stonewalled uh, uh, somewhat on discovery, uh, and then the case settled. Uh, and uh, and and I think probably for the Commonwealth for the better, um, the discovery that I was pursuing would have been uh, for everybody. Right. All right. I think. There's yeah, I just oh. want to note that statute in Massachusetts um, has tons of hurdles to go through. So a defendant, it's not. It's not just that your case eventually was, you know, your conviction was vacated and and dismissed. There are tons more other hurdles that you have to get through, even to get to court. So, um, you know, that's why we haven't seen you know, mass litigation on this level, even though many thousands of people were likely wrong, wrongfully convicted. Right. Um, no, that's, there has that's been a great point. You, there's a number of, of challenges, uh, one of which is you have to have been incarcerated for more than a year. Um, and, uh, and, and yes, you have to, be, you have to have a claim of factual innocence. Uh, and, and while that was feasible for the Dukin cases, the problem that you had in a fraud case is you might be in the position where you said that she messed with my sample because it had drugs in it. That's not a very good position to be in. Um, and, uh, but now these stand, secondary standard cases, I, I mean, I don't know if anyone's brought one uh, and I don't know how, what the proof looked like and what the evidence, um, but you know, you'd have to retest everything to show that there were problems. And we know that that's not going to happen. You know, that no one has any interest in retesting everything beyond what the OIG did, which was very limited, very limited, not transparent at all. No. And I would also mention the only other federal case that I'm aware of, Luke Bryan had brought one on behalf of Ronaldo uh, Peñate, uh, who was the individual whose sample uh, Farrah purportedly tested when she was both uh, high on crack cocaine as well as S LSD. Um, so uh, kudos to him if he wins that, but uh, he's faced tons of hurdles, uh, you know, trying to even get that case to a jury trial. Um, right. Chris, okay. I, don't, I don't mean to correct you, but um, she meticulously tested that while she was on <laughs> crack cocaine. <laughs> so it's a necessary correction. Yeah. And uh, and LSD at the very same time. Nothing unusual, other than you know she she could have wore a nicer blouse. Let's just say it. Like she wore sweatpants to work. Um, <laughs> it is so funny she how she was had to high comment all on that. the time. Yeah, I, dude, why did she focus on that? Like, I don't that know. Is, like she really wanted to bring like, it up. What did you know about this woman? And that was it. Like was trashed like, her appearance, yeah. and that was and walked away. Like so literally weird. light a light a match and walk away, Sharon. <laughs> Because everyone knows, like, well, what like, did you what? say? Why did like, you say that stuff? Well, funnily enough, regarding supervisory liability, um, you know, having an employee who frequently talks to herself might be a, a signal that something is wrong. So. <laughs> might be. Correct. Might be. Well, and I, I, Rebecca didn't even notice that. Like, how do you not? Like, that lab was not that huge. It's like... What right. was going on? Were they just like, did they have horse blinders on? Was that the, like, did they have to, I don't get it. All right. Last clip. Last clip. All right. Here we go. Ladies and gents. 
worse on him. Would would Jim? You said that Jim Hanshaw, he was your supervisor, correct? Um, and you mentioned Jim Hanshaw had a workspace, like a bench, mm -hmm. lab bench. So would he do samples as well? Absolutely. Oh, he, he was in the lab. He was very hands-on. Okay. He was right with. Rebecca and Sonia, you know, very hands-on. He wasn't locked up in his office and, you know, not being involved at all. He was very involved in the lab. Okay. Okay. Good. No, I, have, I have no further questions, Sharon or Eric. I, thank you. I, I no. So thank you very much. Um, how about this? Uh, uh, I usually end. Uh, is there anything that you're surprised um, we're not asking you that you expected to be asked? No. But you're not being asked right now. Nope. Uh, and just as just a follow-up, is there anything else that you think we should know about your time at the lab? No. And anything you think we should know or concerns you about the Department of Public Health that you think we should know? No, nothing new. I mean, you obviously know their lack of protocols and their lack of management and um, where that all led to. There's nothing new that okay. I could add to that. Okay, and if uh, we will go off the record and we will end. Um, it is uh, Tuesday, November 24th, 2015, and the time is approximately 12.40. That was the only thing that was added. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, so it's it's incredible, unbelievable that the attorney general's office did not provide uh, transcripts or audio files of those interviews to anyone before the carry hearings. Did you even Absolutely know that? Did you know that that investigation happened? At a minimum, did well, we did know because we had uh, the the grand jury transcripts, but these are, I guess, the, the proffer interviews. And so, uh, I, I guess during the grand jury, they decided to pick and choose what they wanted to ask about. Well, it, I mean, maybe to put a, a more uh, 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 obvious point on this uh, is the issue, Chris, that you, uh, you, I mean. Uh, the criminal defense bar um, have uh, open cases uh, and that this testimony is exculpatory evidence in the hands of a prosecutor as a duty to turn it over. That, that sort of, is that part of the issue? Yeah, um, yes, absolutely. So like a, um, the attorney general's office knew specifically in the Kerry hearings that uh, the defendants in those cases, which I, I have to say, I wasn't representing anyone. I was just assisting um, counsel with that, but they were acutely aware that they were trying to raise a challenge to the scientific reliability of the testing at the lab. And they did not release these transcripts. And if you look very closely, you compare these with the grand jury transcripts, um, you know, some of the best stuff that we could have used is, is not in there. Um, but more broadly, um, I do currently represent clients who um, had their samples tested at the Hinton lab um, where uh, the non-compliance with swig drug is an issue that we're raising. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating, and I may have mentioned this before, but it sort of baffles me how 
Julianne Nasif was never prosecuted for anything. Right. Um, she continually represented uh, that the lab was following swig drug and uh, public records requests have uncovered internal emails which show they knew that that was not the case. So um, that uh, that is still a lingering question, but it's an issue that we're raising in these cases. How is Julianne Nasif not interviewed for this? You should raise it. Um, I uh, had the opportunity to sit in one of the few civil trials uh, involving Hinton uh, and was able to observe uh, Ms. Nasif and a few others testify. And um, uh, trying to think of how to measure my words properly, but I would say that your uh, question is a good question. Don't Um, comment on her dress and like what she was wearing. Uh, you know, she was, uh, uh, it was interesting that the only time she showed up at Amherst was when they were doing construction. You know, her only real uh, 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 focus at Hinton was on doing a renovation of the office. So I picture her going around with a hard hat and the blueprints folded up under her arm. Uh, and that was the excuse to show up at Amherst, I guess, uh, for that one time. Uh, but certainly a lot was going on under her watch. Um, she, you know, Hanchet reported to her. Uh, Charles Salemi reported to her. Uh, How did they not interview Salemi? Why would why did they only interview Andy Duke? They they had to have her. interviewed Salemi or her, especially her. Well, the state police interviewed everyone initially in 2012, but right. like you would think they would have wanted to re-interview people after they learned more about what happened with Farrick. Right. Well, there's a, and there's a few things in those state police interviews that, that maybe nobody took note of at the time, but Jamie and I went back and looked at them. And there's a few references to making up standards. And there's a few references to, uh, we, uh, uh, I can't remember if it was cocaine, but there are some irregularities in their testing protocols or the lack of protocols. Uh, definitely somebody uh, in the state police and in the attorney general's office probably should have gone back to those interviews after we learned all of this and done a sort of a once-over to realize that the problem was a lot deeper and and extended to Hinton. Absolutely. And, I mean, and the thing that always comes out to me about those interviews, and it's something that we haven't really gotten to, but at some point we'll get to it, is Annie Annie Dukin and a couple of the other chemists' relationships with the DAs. We've talked about it, but um, that is something that's in the OIG report, again, in a footnote saying they couldn't figure out what Annie Dukin's motive was, but it definitely wasn't to help the police convict criminal defendants. And I have two emails that says, I want to lock this guy up and throw away the key. Right. There's just so many, there's so many falsehoods that, that have been coming out of here. I mean, that, that's kind of a non sequitur to what we're doing with the, the Sharon Salem interview, but it just goes to show that you, you scratch the surface of this investigation, just scratch the bare surface of the available materials and you'll find so many discrepancies. It's, it's out of control. Unfortunately, that's our criminal justice system. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. It's just, they'll, they'll, it's, it's what they say in, you know, news conferences and stuff that matters. And then they'll give, fill up an entire report full of things that contradict all of their conclusions and not a single person will raise it. No one in the media, no one anywhere raises anything about, you know, these contradictions. Cause I mean, frankly, no one reads. 
it seems. I mean, you guys read because that's your job, and I read because that's my job. But I, I think mean, about it. Yeah, Randy reads. <laughs> Randy reads the side of his protein uh, shake <laughs> to make sure you know the we ingredients. Get, are Randy's perspective for a minute. Like, did you hear these interviews before we started this podcast? No, uh, like, how wild is it? Um. Well, honestly, man, it's absolutely mind blowing. And no, I, I have not heard of any of this. This is all one hundred percent new to me. I mean, it's ridiculous to think about overall. Like, there's just not. That's why, like, I think during some some time during this, I was like, oh, it gets crazier? Yeah. <laughs> it does. It keeps going? It, at the end, she's like, oh, no, everything was a mistake. I'm sorry I got my boss fired. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, not sorry. Whoops. Anyways, I'm going to continue to work for the state police MBD. <laughs> so uh, what's up for the next podcast? So for the next one, we're, we're going to do Hanchet. That's going to be... That's that's <laughs> that is going to be excellent because he's like he's like your uncle or your grandpa that maybe you know should have the keys of the Buick taken away at some point. You you, you know that date is circled on the calendar. I mean, I I don't want to cast dispersions against anyone, but uh, Jim definitely like what is said in that inter and you know what really strikes me guys about that one is how they bend over backwards to get this guy a lawyer and he keeps saying no <laughs> he keeps saying right. fucking no he's like no i don't need a lawyer they're like no you literally need a lawyer to federal offenses uh, which he was not charged with but anyway that's a story for another day yeah it is all right thank you guys this was great and um Thank you, Randy. Oh, yeah. Always right. willing to be here. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Thank you. All right.